0: Hello, and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and it is Sunday, August 23rd. Hope everyone is staying safe. They're doing well and healthy as we continue to confront the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Coming up today on the podcast, I got to talk with my good friend, Leo Klibanov who is a student assistant coach at Wesleyan. Uh, really good young basketball mind, just a good guy, and we talk about his favorite team, the 76ers, as well as all eight playoff series, so really good conversation. Uh, hope you guys like it. Before we get to that, it's coming up. The election is you know, creeping up on us. It's only about two months away. Everyone should go on to vote.org. On that website, you can find out where... You are registered to vote, where your polling place is, if you're registered to vote, how to register to vote. All that stuff is super, super important. So everyone should go on to vote.org, make sure that they're registered. Uh, if you're a coach or a parent, make sure that your kids are registered, your team is registered. Hell, e- even if your friends are registered, you, we're all in this together. Every vote counts. And yeah, that's that's all I got for right now. And then I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back is my conversation from earlier today with Leo Klubinov. Joining me on the line now is my good friend, and I don't know, I guess former technical, technically you were my former coach at Wesleyan, uh, Leo Klibanoff. He's a student assistant coach at Wesleyan. He is studying economics and data, and he's coming on to help me talk about the NBA playoffs so far, and I'm just really pumped he's coming on. Leo, what's going on, man? David, thanks
1: for having me on. It's a pleasure. Nothing beats talking hoops with Dave Dixon and uh Yeah. It's all
0: good here. I know. It's like it's like a throwback to, you know, used Dan brunches and dinners with before or after practice, just talking about the NBA and what's going on. Everything has changed since since then. It feels like that was, you know, ten years ago in a way. But the but certain things haven't changed and we're just gonna get right into it and we're just gonna just for the listeners we're going to break down every series we're going to spend you know some more time on the more interesting series and you know series like the Nets and Raptors you know less time just cuz that series is pretty much over but one thing that hasn't changed since all those years ago back at the Wesleyan dining hall in January and February is the Philadelphia 76ers are a really weird team as of we're taping this right now on Sunday morning the 23rd uh, the Celtics are up 3-0. They're tipping off at 130 and today, and the talk of the series hasn't necessarily, necessarily been how good the Celtics have been, but more so of what's wrong with Philly, and everyone knows that Ben Simmons is hurt, and when you lose an all-NBA-caliber player, the team isn't going to be as good, but just, you know, you're a Sixers fan. You watch probably at least 65 of their games a year. Just... Just what's your thoughts on this whole series and just Philly as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think the series is, a, is more of a systemic issue within their organization of years of making wrong moves and wrong moves, and you're finally at this breaking point where um, you may not be able to get out of this place that you're in. and You're seeing it on full display in this series. Um, you're, you bought, You put all your chips in. On a team that is not stylistically going to work in the modern NBA, and it's just years and years of mistakes. You can you can pinpoint it to a couple uh, inflection points. Probably one would be when Sam Hickey left. Mm-hmm. The organizational mindset just completely changed there. Um, and then the second would probably be when. Uh, when Brian Colangelo drafted Markel Fultz. Right. Um, and,
0: Which only happened you know, like, like two months later.
1: <laughs> everything happens quickly. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, right now they're at a point where you've got the worst, probably the worst contract in the NBA with Tobias Harris. Completely overpaid. has been shut down this whole series. 0 oh, for 11 from 3 and Al Horford who's, you're paying
0: 20-something million per year for a backup center. Yeah. And, it's ugly. How, are you,
1: how are you going to offload these guys this summer?
0: The the really interesting part about it too is so let's go back to where you say the inflection points where it was at. It was Sam Hinkie and then Calangelo taking over and drafting Markel Fultz and you know the trade-up to take Fultz. But with that move, it was at the time it was heralded as because Fultz was the guy who could play on the ball, off the ball. He was going to bring this whole thing together. And Obviously, everyone knows what happened with with Markel Fultz, and we can get into that a little later just on this whole did-the-process-work thing, but what you're saying that's really interesting about the modern NBA is that it feels like all great teams and true title contenders, and this is kind of like a buzzword now in the NBA, is like wing creators and wing scorers, which basically just the way that I interpret it is someone you could throw the ball to on the wing who can run a pick and roll or isolate and get off a good shot for himself. And as you're saying, Tobias Harris, if he's that guy for Philly and just based on the money that you're paying him, he's played really poorly this series. As you mentioned, 0 for 11 from three. And he just, he just doesn't instill a lot of confidence in you that while he's playing that it's just like that this isn't, you know, just a cold shooting streak. But this is just like this is just kind of who he is. He's not this. He can't be your second best player when Ben Simmons is out.
1: Yeah, agreed with all those points. And to go back to Fultz, like I, I was big Fultz guy, and mm-hmm. I was on. I was like, "Let's do this. Let's go on for Fultz. And I think if you know, for whatever happened, like that story, we could have a whole podcast on Markell Fultz, yeah. yeah. Whatever, but it didn't work out, and um, you you still had more assets after that because Tim Hickey just built up a right. Uh, army of assets, and they just failed to utilize those assets in meaningful ways. And Tobias Harris, like, uh, you need a perimeter scorer. And with Joel, Joel Embiid as your best player, in a playoff series, he can't be your main offensive uh, option. It's just right. not how the NBA works anymore. It's like an entry pass into the post takes five seconds. Him
0: and usually a bad one. Another two seconds. Yeah. yeah,
1: and he's not even... He's not even like he doesn't see off his guy right in the paint anymore. It's, it's just hard. It's not how the NBA works anymore. You just need to give it to a guy on the wing who can get his own shot. Because that's not because Joel Embiid in a playoff series. That's he's he's going to get thirty points. He's going to be a force on defense. But at the end of the game, you want to give it to that wing guy, and they just don't have that option right
0: now. And he's you know we we talk about Embiid. Embiid is unstoppable. So during the regular season, I don't have the exact updated numbers just because they get updated so quickly with um every playoff game because you get so many touches now but in the regular season including like the restart games like according to synergy like 36 percent of his possessions were post-ups He was averaging over 1.1 points per possession shooting over 50 percent on those shots and he would get to the free throw line 28 percent of those times like his post-ups were like one of the best offenses in the nba per 100 possessions like Incredible because he could score. He just puts you in the torture chamber and gets you to draw fouls and like he's unbelievable. And as we're seeing in this Boston series, he's dominating the Celtics interior bigs. Like they're having to go to Ennis Cantor because either Tice is getting in foul trouble or he just gets tired and beat up and from guarding him. And so they're having to go to Ennis Cantor, who in most playoff series, the last four or five years. He reaches a point where coaches have to decide if he's playable or not because he's a very weak pick and roll defender. And this kind of all fits in with Philly is that they don't have a guy who can really exploit that matchup. Uh, people thought it would be Shake Milton. I kind of, you know, drank the Kool Aid a bit on Shake Milton being the answer at point guard, but he's not really a ball handler creator to to get put to put Cantor really in a lot of difficult positions. I think that this all boils down to just the one thing is it's hard because Ben Simmons is hurt. But when we talk about how Philly can get better this season, because this series is pretty much over. No NBA team has blown a 3-0 series lead. It will happen one day. I don't think it'll happen this series. When we talk about how the Philly can get better next year, they have $147 million tied up in cap next year, which is second to the Warriors. You're already in, in the luxury tax. I think it has to start with because, as you said, Harris and Horford's contracts are just so hard to move because they're so big and so long uh, for, for so many years. Does Embiid and Simmons fit together?
1: Yeah, I think that's a – everyone talks about it, and you've got two ends of the spectrum. I end on that they can work together. You mm-hmm. can look at the numbers, the net rating together for the past couple of years. It's been down this year, but I think if you can take Horford out of that, those lineups. Um, they do have a very uh, dominant net rating, and especially the first year they played together when they had players that can, that surrounded them. You've got J.J. Reddick, Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, Balanelli, or Silva. And they had, I think it was more like 14 or 15 net rating when they were playing together. Like that, That's dominant.
0: Yeah. And I think as as a case study,
1: what I look to is the Miami Heat. Uh, with, you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Jimmy Butler 23%. Three point shooter this year, they out of I don't know his number, but it's does not shoot threes that much. Yeah, you have two and a half shooters on the floor, but top to bottom. You have shooters here of Robinson, Draje, Crowder, Iggy, uh, Non. Uh, you can list you the list go on, and they have a very fun offense to watch, and it works because you surround those star players with players that complement them. So I think that they can work together, but you have to surround them. So. It's going to be very hard this offseason to find players. You're going to have to, you're going to probably lose every trade. But yeah. what you have to do in those trades is get players that complement them. And I've, you know, I've have gone through some scenarios of what they can do. Um, like, it's, it's it's hard though. It's it, you're going to probably lose every trade.
0: Yeah, I mean the the guy who everyone's going to talk about is Bradley Beal. That if you had Bradley Beal, it feels like just because of his scoring numbers and the way he can shoot and he's just so good that it feels like, hey, everyone's like, hey, if Bradley Beal and Embiid were together, this is a real true contender. They're a much better duo. But really, as we keep talking about, because the contracts are so big, the only way to get Bradley Beal is you would have to give up Ben Simmons. And I'm kind of lean with you that I think it can work because as you're saying, it's worked in the past. And they're both so young. I I feel like everyone forgets just with the LeBron uh, mercenary style of no matter what team LeBron is on, they're immediately a finals contender, and they make the finals and winning the championship. That most NBA teams throughout the history of the league, it takes them several years to climb the mountain and get to the mountaintop. And this is only year three of Embiid and Simmons truly playing together because they were both hurt. So we. We're still pretty young in this process, and obviously there's the concern of Embiid as a long-term uh, player just because of his injury history and just uh, his size and just staying healthy, but I'm with you. I, I wouldn't blow it up, but it's just really hard to change these role players because I don't know who's going to take Al Horford and who's going to take Tobias Harris's contracts, which just makes me lead to believe that a coaching change has to be on the horizon Uh, mainly, and I talked about this on the podcast last week, but I think Brett Brown is a good coach. I think that everything he went through during the process of dealing with all the losing and the terrible rosters and no consistency with the roster and so much turnover and everything he went through and just never complained, always positive, helped guys get better. I think he's a good coach, but I think that there needs to be just a new voice and another guy to try to take this team to that next level and but the thing is, like, who's out there for them to hire?
1: Yeah, um, uh, Brett Brown's going to get fired. Like, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to get fired. And uh, you know, I think Brett's a good coach. And uh, he's been here seven years, Philly. You if you're not, you haven't won a championship or anything in seven years. You're probably going to be on your way out. And uh, it's tough because he's going to be the fall guy. And just like Sam Hankey was everything that they failed is going to be on Brett Brown. And that's tough to stomach because everything he's done for this organization and he's been in so many different roles. He was he was the GM for an off season. Like yeah. your coach, cause your GM before that had burner accounts or his wife, did, or he blamed it on his wife talking about the players. Like he's been through so much. He's been through losing and um, he's going to be, he's still going to be the fall guy and why it didn't work. And, that's hard to stomach for me but talking about what coaches out there you have like uh, Ty Lewis probably the number one guy on the market um, they're going to, have to compete with New Orleans for that I, that's those are the, that's a mm-hmm. big place like he knows David Griffin you've got a lot of young guys uh, Adrian Griffin of the Raptors maybe like their assistant coach uh,
0: Jason Kidd like
1: Jason Kidd uh, J- Jeff Van Gundy Dan Van Gundy maybe Dan Tony when if he doesn't get re-signed now, like, now, there's no now, good
0: options now that would be now I don't know if Dan Tony will remain in Houston because I do think that the Hong Kong tweet for Daryl Morey looms over that team and I don't know if their owner really wants to do this again I, I think that they're also Dan Tony's on an expiring deal that they couldn't get it together Dan Tony was an assistant under Brett Brown I believe if I remember correctly it was the 2012 13 year or 13-14 can't would, would, uh,
1: the ten, the ten win
0: season yeah, which every year before he went to Houston he was an assistant in Philly he has a connection there, and I'm a big fan of Dan Tony and if there's anyone who can figure out how to mesh these two guys and how to get the best out of Ben Simmons. And Joel Embiid, it's Mike D'Antoni who got the best out of Steve Nash, got the best out of James Harden, is getting the best out of Russell Westbrook in this crazy weird lineup they're playing, and was really effective with Chris Paul and got Chris Paul and James Harden to play together really well. So I think if I think if he's on the market, I think that would be a really, really great fit. But this brings me to just my next question for you as an avid Sixers fan, and I have an opinion on this too, but what people are going to talk about all off season is the, the process and did it work? Because that's an infamous thing that's now linked to this team forever. Do you think that the process worked? Hundred percent. I agree with you. You, uh, you got two superstars. The whole point of the
1: process is they got superstars. Yeah. Not only did they get, to get one, they got two, and along with that, they got they found Robert Covington, like Darius Arich, They. TJ McConnell. They found these guys that, and the amount of assets they got. They had, like, as a, you're a Knicks fan, like they mm. have had the Knick, the New York Knicks second round picks from 2017 to 2021 every single year. Just to, they destroyed the Vlade on trading Staus, getting Stowskis in yeah. two first round. The, the pick swap, the 20 first round pick. Uh, there's 100 percent worked, and it's sad that both. I, I it's not both because. Brian Clangelo's staff is still working under Elton Brand, but the front office, after Sam Hincky, has failed to use just an abundance of assets and two star players to their full potential.
0: And it's also that, you know, Hincky talked about how it's the processing and all these assets is more swings at the plate, is what he was talking about. He just wants more chances for it to work because the draft is basically a crapshoot, and you just want more and more chances. The false pick really hurts because he was that final piece. But the problem about swings at the plate, like they missed on Nerlin's Noel wasn't a star, Jaleel Okafor wasn't a star. Uh Dario Sarge was is a productive player, but he's not a s all-star superstar. And the process is you get up through the draft and you get him through free agency or trades. And what and what did they do? They got two superstar players and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, like you mentioned. It's kind of bad luck that the fit just hasn't been right yet. But also when you talk about they also were able to go out and get Jimmy Butler. In a trade, and I think it speaks more to Jimmy Butler that it didn't work in Philly because truthfully, how many coaches does Jimmy Butler get along with, right? It seems like Spo and Thibodeau are the only two. And you know, okay, it didn't work with him, but that's what the process was about was getting him. And as everyone in Philly, I'm sure, hates to bring up, but it was a four bounce shot from Kawhi away from going to overtime in game seven. Who knows who wins? I personally think Toronto wins there at home, but who knows who who wins that game, right? And then, it's, then you make the conference finals. Does Jimmy stay? I think that the process worked, but I think that what you keep saying is that they lost trust in it, in fulfilling it to the full extent, the way that Boston did, if you think about for uh, the way that they used those Nets picks, is that you had all these assets and you went star hunting instead of... I criticize Boston for not going star hunting when they had all those picks, but look what they're at now. They have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and they got Kemba and Hayward. Like they, it, it's really interesting to think about how they went about the star hunting versus just developing the young players. Because I don't know, it's for most teams it doesn't work out. Like winning a championship is really really hard, and. I think that they're just one of the most interesting teams going forward because Simmons and Embiid are one of the best duos in the league. The coaching change, new, new life in there. Who knows what, what could happen. But I'm I'm a little optimistic about the team. It's hard to feel optimistic when you're down 3-0 in a series, but I don't know. They they just have talent and talent wins and and beat's the best player in the series. Like Embiid's gonna be the best player in any series in the East, basically, unless they play Giannis. You know, like they have a real chance going forward of Making a run,
1: yeah, and I mean, I, ho- I hope so, dude. Uh, uh, I I don't I'm not as optimistic as you. I, you're right. You have two star players, but it's going to be tough to to get some good pieces around them. Like uh, I don't want to go too deep into the off season, but
0: like thought he healed, I don't think moves the needle. No. Um, like, <laughs> can you get Chris Paul for Tobias Harris? Maybe that moves the
1: needle. Maybe. Eric Eric Gordon for Al Horford. I don't know, but. I, I, I hope to be as optimistic
0: as you. <laughs> anyway, our 20 minutes on the Sixers are now over. We're going to move on to the seven teams who are still in it. You're watching this. On, on the flip side, you know, it hurts because you're watching the Celtics, you know, crush your team. But the Celtics look really, really good. Tatum is awesome. Uh, no surprise there. And obviously the Hayward injury from, uh, with his sprained ankle is pretty bad. That's a concern for me. I think the Celtics can potentially make the finals out of the East, but their health is the biggest thing because Kemba's knee is a concern for me because it seems like it's some type of arthritis type thing that it's not going to get better, let's just say. It's just always going to be up to a pain management and just treatment thing. And then Hayward's return if, if, if he does come back from his, from his injury. But what do you think of Boston so far? Because they look great.
1: They look great, and Brad Stevens is a terrific coach. And I think more so on de- more so on defense and off- offense. Like yep. his, their their scheme is so good. Um, they utilize their players so well. They very good pick and roll defense. They isolate ball screens. They apply great ball pressure. They get the most out of Daniel Tice. Um, they, Tatum's a rising uh, defensive star. You have Jalen Brown, great. And I think offense it's like it's easy if you're the Celtics on offense. Like yeah. you're giving Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum a high ball screen and they're gonna get a good shot nine times out of ten.
0: <laughs> and 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 also just as you mentioned, the defense is also just their scheme. It's not just because they do like the little things, right, of making sure they're always pressing the ball and stuff. But they do that so when the Sixers try to run a screen and roll and they get Embiid on a switch or when Embiid tries to post up, they put enough ball pressure on the guy with the ball to make it just a little harder for the entry pass. They're not, the Sixers guys aren't already good at entry passes, and then when Embiid does have a switch on him, they like scram, rotate. Whereas the balls in the air to Embiid, they'll rotate out of it really, really well. So it's not like Embiid can you know post up Kemba Walker a lot or Tatum. Like he gets like they switch out of bad matchups off the ball really, really well.
1: Yeah, it's probably a lot to do
0: with Marcus Smart as well. He's yeah. just a game changer for them. And, he's incredible. You know, as Celtics with title contenders, I
1: don't think they can do it without Hayward. And Hayward, I think he's going to be out longer than people think. Mm-hmm. Like a grade three ankle sprain not good. Yeah, and it's bad. Four weeks is way too optimistic. And and then he's got his his cat, as his wife's pregnant. And, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe like you see with Mike Conley and Fred VanVleet, maybe that actually will help
0: him. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, who, who knows? But. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, without, yeah. Without
1: him, I I, I can't see them uh, running the table in
0: the East. Interesting, interesting. Well, all right. So that game tees off in a or tips off in about an hour from when we're taping this. So I'll be interested to see if the Sixers can steal one. Uh, but we don't. We think that it's over. Next series, Heat Pacers. As of taping, the Heat are up three nothing. This series is over. Uh, what has impressed you about Miami? Uh, so far in this series, because it's got to be the role players, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are guys are stepping up. Kendrick Nunn hasn't. I don't think he's played one meaningful minute in this series. No,
0: him and him and Myers Leonard have both been benched. who were starters right. pretty much the whole season.
1: <laughs> it's just crazy. And Jimmy Butler's stepped up as he always does in the playoffs. He's starting to make threes. <laughs> um, and they're 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 fun and they're versatile. They. They're at the closing lineups. are very fun. They they can guard, and their offense is lethal. Tonkin Robinson lethal, um, and yeah, their they, their guys are stepping up, and it's, it's a great testament to the culture they built down there with Pat Riley and so.
0: And it's also that it's like they're maximizing their guys because it's you have Tyler Hero who was the 14th overall pick. He just comes off the bench and he's firing shots because he gets. Open looks because Bam is a terrific passer out of the high post elbows area. Jimmy Butler commands so much attention against the Pacers because he's getting like 10 to 20 free throws a game or driving to the rim, and they're looking to pass. Drogic is really dynamic with the ball getting downhill and kicking. But those guys are always looking for Duncan Robinson. They're always looking for Tyler Hero. They're always looking for Kelly Ol- when when he's on the court. Jay Crowder is like shooting... You know, he's one of the been one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA since he's joined Miami. And then you even have, like, Derek Jones Jr., who's a, hitting a couple corner threes and crashing the glass. Like, they're they just the epitome of what coaches always talk about, of starring in your role. Like, they have all these guys who are starring in their roles for the team, and it's working out great. I'm surprised that they're upstairs. 3-0 against the Pacers. I actually think the Pacers are pretty good. Uh, not having Sabonis really hurts them because Miami is small. They don't have a lot of depth inside, especially if they're not playing Myers Leonard. But I don't know. Like you, like, you can't say a single bad thing about Miami so far. Like, they're playing fantastically. And it'll be really interesting to see if they match up against the Bucs. Uh, Their issue issues that, just like uh, when we... On the, on the flip side of what we talked about with the Sixers, of Embiid would be the best player in, in every series. Miami won't have the best player in any series from now on for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, but we'll see if, if it's like team over the individual greatness. But do you think Miami has any chance to to really challenge and push the Bucks and maybe even come out of the East? I don't, but Spo
1: is a great coach and... Um... I think he's a better coach than Budenholzer in
0: the yeah. playoffs. He and adjusts more.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. And uh, Bam, can guard Giannis,
0: yeah. <laughs> He's enough. No, he's he's one of the best guys on Giannis, which is like, you know, Giannis is pretty much unstoppable, but if you can do anything to contain him, just make his life more difficult, that that's a huge plus.
1: Yeah, and the this, this series won't be a sweep. It probably will be six games, but I think... Milwaukee's just still the more
0: talented team at that point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And also, you just have to think, even though they're in a perfect gym, no travel, no nothing, you just have to think, eventually Miami will start missing threes, right? Like, they can't keep, yeah. it just feels like they can't keep shooting this way that they have been. But also, the guys are so open, and they're such good shooters. Like, who knows? Yeah,
1: I think Miami, like, stylistically, they're probably the closest team to the old Warriors, than any team that's played since. Just their shooters, their cuts, their split actions. Their, yeah. They're fun to watch.
0: But uh, we'll see how they can do against the best defense in the NBA. But it'll be interesting because the Bucks give up the most threes in, in the NBA by design because they really protect the rim really well and they don't foul. So they don't give up any layups right. or free throws, but they say, hey, make contested threes. And Miami makes a lot of threes. But 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 before we get to the, to the Bucks, I want to talk about them in a second. Indiana, I think they just run it back. No Sabonis. You know, Oladipo is coming back from injury. Like, you run it back next year. They're a firm four or five seed in the East. Uh, I think they're pretty good, and they have a couple young all stars. I, I want to see how it goes in the next couple of years with Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon, Oladipo, because I think they're just a really solid, fun team to watch.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. I don't have much more to say
0: than that. TJ Warren.
1: They're tough yeah, TJ Warren. I mean, Sabonis is very good. He's their best player. And without him, obviously, they're a different team. But uh, the, I think they've got very good pieces with Old Depot. Their starting line is pretty fun. And,
0: yeah, very I fun. Mean, yeah,
1: there's not much more to say there. Just run it back.
0: Run it back. And Nate McMillan is a fantastic coach, too. Wanted to give a shout out for him as well. Great. So, next series, we're sticking with the East. We're doing Bucks, Magic. As of taping, the Bucks won yesterday, they, they won pretty big. The Bucks are leading 2-1. to one. Is this series over? Because the Magic did steal one, but I believe this series is over. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's over. It's not close. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it... it the, Orlando had a very good scheme in Game 1. Um, they just... I mean, it, what most teams are going to do, they're going to build a wall against Giannis and really just, like, over-help up everyone else and put that focus on Giannis, and they try to make... Milwaukee's not the best shooting team in the league. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of uh, below-average shooters, and they try to make those shooters um, become good shooters, and they didn't in game one, but I think, you know, Giannis is dominant. The past couple of games, he stepped it up a notch, and there's... They, you can't guard Giannis for a whole series if you're Orlando.
0: Right, and, and you know, the, the game that they won, Orlando hit they were 16 for 41 from three, including Vucevic hitting five. Uh, they went 18 for 19 from the line. They, you know, they shot the ball really, really well. And in that game, too, the Bucks had 16 turnovers. They didn't shoot that well. They only made 14 threes. Uh, they missed 10 free throws. It just, it felt like kind of like the uh, the game last year against Boston where Milwaukee loses that game one in the second round, and it just kind of, you know, awaken the beast as you know and just like my uh milwaukee came out in game two and game three with just so much more intensity from the jump of you know we're gonna step on their throat and they can't beat us and we're just gonna dominate them and when you have a team as good as milwaukee is doing that obviously orlando has a lot of problems on the offensive side of the ball uh it's just it's really fun to watch and just Looking forward for my for Milwaukee, it all comes down to the role players because Giannis is going to be the two time back to back MVP, incredible player. They need guys to step up and hit shots. They need Chris Middleton to shoot the ball well and be aggressive. They need whether it's Dante Divincenzo or Pat Connaughton who made five threes in game two. They need Lopez to some shots. You know, George Hill needs to make some shots. Like they just need guys to step up and make far away shots because. Otherwise, I don't know how they. I don't know how they lose if those guys are making shots.
1: Yeah, they they're very tough to guard. Those, make, those guys are making shots, and I mean, we'll see how. I think defensively, uh, the Brook Lopez and drop pick and rolls how that works against other teams like Toronto. We can touch on mm-hmm. that later, but um, I mean, you saw how in Game One it. It's troubling for them to guard a pick and pop because Lopez drops so deep and Vujovic yeah. which, which is what 33% three point shooter is actually hitting threes Yeah, so I think that, that's a little more of my concern than the offense obviously their shooters are not they're not the best shooting team but I think they're capable but yeah that's where I am with them I think they're, they're a solid team
0: and the the key for them is just stay healthy these, these next two games you're going to win play well but just stay healthy because the Miami series is going to be really tough, and then uh, the Boston or Toronto series coming up. Orlando just want to do a quick, you know, two minutes. They're stuck in in the NBA purgatory of you're a playoff team, but you're always a seven or eight seed, right? Like they're stuck in the middle. Uh, The worst. I think Vucevic is an interesting trade candidate this this off season everyone's going to talk about Aaron Gordon, but I think Vucevic is really good. I think he'll be a very interesting trade candidate for some teams who need some help uh, inside, but, you know, I don't know if they should do the process, but they need to do something because they're not going anywhere. Yeah. And that
1: Jonathan Isaac, he feels super Brutal. tough. He's having a great year, great defensive player. He yeah. you could have made him. All defensive team feels he healthy all year and just deteriorate. So that's brutal for them. They don't obviously. There's no Aaron Gordon this series, so that's tough. But um, it's yeah, they they're they're kind of stuck in the middle and it's a tough place to be. Um, but sometimes that's what ownership. They just want to be a playoff team, and that that's might
0: what, yeah. what
1: it be for Orlando right now.
0: For sure. All right, five minutes maximum. Raptors Nets. As of taping this, Raptors are up 3 0. They play later today. Uh, the Raptors are showing absolutely no mercy on the Brooklyn Nets. Their depth and their role players. They're, they really are like kind of all role players because Siakam is an all star and, Van, and uh, Lowry is an all star, but they're not like superstars, you know? But like, I'm yeah. going to talk about Fred Van Vliet, OG, Ann Yanobi, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka. They're just destroying Brooklyn. Brooklyn plays hard. They have some talent, but uh, Toronto, with coach of the year Nick Nurse, is doing what champions do, which is show no show no mercy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty surprised and happy about Brooklyn's playing and moving the ball pretty well. Yeah, they're getting good contributions from guys you didn't think. I mean, Chios is playing great. I mean, even Justin Anderson, TLC, yeah, former sixer. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: uh,
1: I mean, they're getting good contributions and Karis Lewis so fun to watch. I've yeah. I've always, always been a big fan. and It's good to see him be that uh, number one option, which he won't be probably for a while now. No. And I've been, been like, they weren't going to win the series. It's no. That yeah. easy. And I think the bigger question is
0: where do they go with, with their coaching? Yep. So that's a big question. But,
1: um, yeah, that's all I got on for,
0: uh, Toronto, Brooklyn. Yeah. They're, they're most interesting because they're the seventh seed. They're playing well. They're playing together. But, everything kind of changes because you have the looming returns of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and a potential coaching change on the horizon. Uh, who knows? Maybe Ty Lu would be interesting in Brooklyn, like, or, uh, you know, Jason Kidd or any one of these guys. But uh, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be very interesting to see what they do because the coach is going to be so important for them because, You know, Kyrie's a difficult guy. KD can be difficult at times, too. Like, they need a coach who can kind of gel that team together and get them to play really well. But that series is over. It's getting the NBA TV treatment. Uh, So, yeah, there's low hopes for that one being competitive anyway coming into it. Flipping over to the Western Conference, my favorite series in the West right now, Leo, is Clippers Mavericks. So as we're taping this, Clippers are up two one. They tip off at three thirty today. Uh you know, it's Luca and KP, former Nick, uh versus Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like this series has been so good so far.
1: So fun to watch. Um the Luca Doncic injuries I mean it sucks. Like Yeah. You saw him you try tried to come back and play it. You just looked you couldn't you couldn't do anything, like you yeah. couldn't. It just was sad to see that happen, and um, I, I, they, can't, they can't win without Luka. And no, yeah. Even if he's not, if He definitely helps them, even not at full strength. But if he's running like he did then, then it's over. But um, you have Paul George struggle two games in a row.
0: Yeah, really I struggled.
1: Uh, it's a it's a good series. KP gets thrown out of that game, like yeah, the first game. Maybe they win that. I don't
0: know. But it, it's been a great series. It's It's been a great series, too, because you're watching the best offense in the history of the NBA versus one of the most versatile defenses in the NBA this year because you have Leonard and Paul George, and obviously you know, Pat Beverly's been hurt. But the Clippers can still do a lot of things defensively, and the Mavs are still scoring on them. Like, I don't know how many wide-open layups – trey burke and seth curry can get in the half court but just the the way that the mavericks can spread the court is because porzingis is shooting the ball really really well i think he's like nine for 17 or 10 for 17 from three shooting the ball really well so far this series luca struggled shooting wise in game three but the first two games like was averaging 35 points just dominating uh the series and on the flip side the Mavericks are, like, allergic to defense. It's just... They're just allergic to defense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, KP, it, it's interesting. You, I don't know the, his rim protection numbers, but they, it seems like teams always want to attack him in the pick-and-roll. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got no one-on-one defender that can guard Kawhi Leonard, or really anyone. Um, they don't play good team defense and it like I, I still like remember that game what Was it was game one it was like Rockets
0: Mavs yeah that was a great played. game it was
1: like the score was like 150 to something like yeah I know it was, it was the seeding games and no one played defense in those games but so it's still
0: just crazy and it's and it's it's interesting too because I think KP is I think Porzingis is a good rim protector challenging shots and everything but they play that drop coverage style and Part of it is like when Kawhi is coming off screens, he's so dominant because he he's always under control. He changes speeds really well. He gets to his spots like Kawhi kind of like baits you and you gives him a little bump so he can get to the free throw line. He's unstoppable in the mid range, uh, and he's so physical and so strong that it's like even if you foul him or bump him, it doesn't matter. Uh, Kawhi has just been so impressive again because he's upping his game because he's like. He's looking over at Paul George, like seriously, guy. Like again, again, like so. Kawhi's just doing his thing; he's scoring the ball really, really well. And it's interesting because this series, obviously, there is this the the scuffle between uh, Marvin Williams and James Ennis in the Bucks game yesterday. But this series is the most physical so far, and it feels like it has the most animosity. Like these teams don't like each other, and I don't know if it's just because Luca. Talks so much trash and just whether it's at he you know he fires some expletives at all the officials consistently during the games and I think TNT and ESPN should stop showing him when he's uh, complaining foul calls because for the kids out there he's saying some pretty bad words to them uh, but obviously there's the incident Katie Porzingis gets ejected game one Luca and Marcus Morris are getting physical with each other and then Montrez Harrell got into it like those four guys. It are getting into it. Pat Beverly's not even playing. Like it feels like this has a chance to be like a real rivalry. It feels like the playoffs of like these teams don't like each other. It's it's awesome. It's awesome to watch.
1: Yeah, um, I think any team the Clippers face, no one's going to like them because Marcus Morris gets in a fight every playoff series. Yes, Patrick Beverly. No one likes that dude. Much
0: as Harold just plays super physical, physical. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Kawhi Leonard,
1: he, there's nothing wrong with the dude. It's just
0: he's it, it, he's he's
1: team. It's yeah, like he's gonna go down. He's gonna do the same thing. He's gonna score on you. And there's yeah. no way to guard it because in drop pick and roll coverage, you're protecting the basket and you're you're letting him shoot a great shot. You're letting him shoot the best shot for him. And yeah. there's no way to guard him.
0: Yeah, he's I'm really looking forward to this one. Like every time Doncic plays in the playoffs, like. I'm like I can't wait for 3:30 today to, to watch this game. Luca, as we mentioned, sprained his left ankle in the third quarter of game 3. Due to apparently some MRI machine troubles, he was delayed in getting his uh, MRI. Apparently, no thing no alarming, no structural damage according to Tim McMahon from ESPN, and he's a true game time decision apparently. I think he's going to play, but as we mentioned, or you mentioned at the top with this talk about the series Luca, if Luca's not in, the series over. And we'll be interested to see if he's limited. What can he do? I think he's going to play. The guy plays hurt mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Plays banged up. He takes so much contact. But I can't wait for the series. Do you have any other thoughts on Clippers' Mavs? No, not
1: necessarily. I think Clippers win this, but it's been fun. Yeah, um, It's a good experience for the Mavs because KPA and Luca's first playoffs and K- Luca especially is showing up.
0: One hundred percent. So flipping over to the other LA team, Lakers, Blazers, the Lakers won game three last night, one sixteen, one oh eight to take a two to one series lead. Uh LeBron and Anthony Davis led the way in this one. Both really you know, LeBron was really aggressive from the start, scored the ball really, really well, which is kinda of like the first time in the playoffs. So really this whole bubble, like he's trying to figure out his offense. Uh it's amazing, Leo, to watch Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee be so productive in the playoffs because they're both guys who have had their fair share of time on Shaqton a Fool, right? Like, even though, even though JaVale was great with the Warriors, Dwight has just been, I think, one of the surprises of, of the season. Like, he's playing really well. And I don't know, like, how else to say it. Like, he's playing really well. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I'm going to defer a little to you on this one because yeah. I haven't watched last night's game yet, but um, they have been playing well. But I think what's more interesting is that everyone knows that Lakers' three-point
1: shooting struggles. and yeah. Are they going to make that switch? Where is Anthony Davis going to step up and play the five for them more and they can surround that team, the shooters, to have better spacing? Because mm-hmm. um, I think that their offense, that's a good way to – make their offense a little better um but as you said it's there's a like balance to that because i know ad doesn't want to play at the five that much and javel and dwight have been playing pretty well but i think to give confidence in your shooters to give them more space and make it harder for the defense to make a decision of who to guard like i think they should uh instill some confidence and ask him to play the five more
0: for sure and and it is really interesting so we mentioned that the, the, the three-point shooting is the biggest thing for the Lakers because they were 10 for 30 last night in the win, and LeBron made four, which was huge, but Danny Green finally came to life and made some shots. He was two for four from three. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, KCP, he made uh, three threes last night. Like Alex Crusoe made one. They're They're starting to get confidence in those guys, and they just need someone whether it's Kuzma whether it's Danny Green whether it's KCP they need someone to hit those shots from far away because that opens up the court for LeBron and Davis to do their thing inside because we see like those guys started making a couple shots LeBron hits four threes the sport the court opens up for him more he drew a lot of fouls and he took 17 free throws last night and when that happens they're just so much more dangerous but if no one else is making far Teams can just pack the paint on them and force LeBron and Davis to take really tough twos and dare these guys to make threes, you know? And if they're not going to do it, like, then you don't have to respect them, right? So it's, I don't know, it's it's interesting to see, like, LeBron's going to keep passing to these guys, passing to these guys, but, you know, whether it's J.R. Smith or Dion Waiters or, you know... Well, even Jared Dudley might have to play because they just need someone who can stand on the, around the three point line and just make a couple shots. Um, it'll be interesting to see this series going forward too, just because of uh, everyone loves. It. This was like the popular upset pick. Like Charles Barkley said that Portland was going to win the series and somehow make the finals, right. but uh, I don't think they can pull the upset. Just, they, yeah, just don't play good. they just don't play good enough defense. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's that simple. Yeah. It's, it, Carmelo's great. He's been a great story this year. He came alive in the third quarter last night, but just when you're third option, really, because in this series, like, Nurkic isn't doing too much, uh, mainly because <laughs> he has to guard so much on defense. Yeah. If, you're, if you're relying on Carmelo, ISO, mid-range, post-up, fadeaways, like it's just not a sustainable way to win at this point of Carmelo's career. Uh, but, you know, he's playing well. So move, moving on, Nuggets, Jazz. Oh, man. Jazz are up 2 1. I'm, I'm just going to give you the floor. What's wrong with Denver?
1: Oh, what is wrong with Denver? Oh, man. This one's been tough to watch for me. And uh, Jokic is just getting destroyed to me. Go Bears eating him alive. Like, Jokic can't defend them on um, Any pick and rolls. The, the Nuggets are the few teams that don't actually play drop pick and roll coverage. Yeah, they they hedge right at the ball at the level of the screen, and they so obviously the outer need to pull in from the weak side. And the Jazz are doing some good things where they have, they have some weak side pin downs or whatever to kind of get a little distraction there. Um, but uh, it's been tough because Jokic is Bears just... Such a tough matchup for him because obviously you can nullify him on offense. But then Jokic is not a rim protector. He's not long enough. He can't, he can't move well enough to stay with Gobert. And Gobert's just eating him already. He had like 20 points in the first half the other day. And Gobert's not on offense. He shouldn't be an offensive threat. And I think that's their number one issue. But they've got issues all around. They scored like 14 points in the first, first quarter the other night. Yeah. Barton, obviously. And Harris, it doesn't help that they're not playing, but they still should be a team without Bogdanovich. Um, and it, it's troubling because I, I thought they're one of the deeper teams that had a good chance to make it pretty far, but it's, they've got a lot of issues going on.
0: Yeah, I was big on Denver. Me and my brother were big on Denver. But their biggest issue seemingly is just a lack of energy, intensity, uh and a focus at the start of these games. Cause in game three last uh, two days ago, it was like so many turnovers in the first quarter. Like it was like, do you guys know that the game started and it's the playoffs like that, that, that the game has started, you know, like what are you guys doing? And to your go bear point, it's really interesting coaching wise of they're always on the court together. So yeah. go bear played 31 minutes. And, yeah, four, and 42 seconds in game three, Jokic played the exact amount of time. Like, it's yeah. just – they're just saying, like, they're both, like, they have to have him on the court at the same time. So that's really interesting coaching. Uh, but also, if you're Denver, you I wouldn't worry too much about what Utah is doing from game three. I'd be more concerned with your effort level because just when, just when you look at the box score, Mike Conley made seven threes uh, – in game three and George Niang made four threes and you can talk about, okay, we need to get those guys like they, they can't be as open as they were, but Mike Conley shot 37% from three. So he's a solid three point shooter, but nowhere near really that great. Like, and he's been shooting the ball pretty poorly so far in the bubble. And Niang is a low volume, 40% three point shooter. So if those guys are making shots, like there's nothing you can do about it but I also wouldn't bet on them continuing to make shots either, you know?
1: Yeah, they're not going to continue to make shots that they did the other night. They shot—the whole team just, just really shot the ball really well. And if you're Denver, you're looking in that locker room, and you're like—you're a young team, fourth-youngest team, I think, in the league, and you just got smashed for two straight games. So how can—can you—do you have enough focus— an experience to be like who's that leader? that's gonna be like, yep, like, yeah, we're flushing those games and we're, we're bringing on a new level. It's a new intensity right now, and I don't know if they have it. But I, they don't have a lot of experience. I don't know who that leader is on the team. Michael Malone's. I think he's a good coach, but um, we'll see if they can do. It. But the, you know, what time that game is today nine.
0: Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a late game, I think. But the yeah. but the the interesting part is that I think obviously you you mentioned Jokic is struggling on defense a little bit, but you know he always kind of struggles on defense like but it's michael porter junior who's really struggling so he only played 15 minutes in game 3 and he's just for as he's a great offensive player but when we just talk about the focus and intensity look not many 19 or 20 year olds can be matisse tybell or marcus smart and the second they come in the league that they're awesome on defense most guys are like Michael Porter who really struggle. But in this series, like, he's just been really bad. He's been getting targeted, picked on, and attacked by Utah whenever he's on the court. And it just makes it really hard to have two very weak defenders on the court at the same time, and Porter and Jokic in in the pick and roll. And the key will be just how does he respond to coaching? Because I'm sure that the film... The last day or two days has just been really bad. How does Michael Porter respond? Because he's so young, and really, just how do how do the rest of these guys respond to just getting their butts kicked the last the last two games? And I think it's all about how do they start in Game Four? Because if they start with intensity, they have a, they have a real chance. But if they you know are lackadaisical the way they've been in Game Two and Three, like the series is over.
1: Yeah, hit on the head there.
0: So. The last series that I thought was going to be way more interesting coming into it, but unfortunately with Russell Westbrook's injury, uh we just don't have the the, the same storylines, but this has still been a pretty solid series. Houston against Oklahoma City. The Thunder won game three last night. So uh the series is now two to one. They are Going back and forth, Oklahoma City won last night in overtime. It's really interesting. James Harden fouled out, so that was a huge thing Mm -hmm. for OKC. But they're playing really well. Like they're a fun. It's like this is like a kind of fun series to watch because I don't know. I don't know what to make of Houston. Like, are they good at defense (laughs) or like because they kind of just hang around with you? But I don't know They're... This has been really interesting because it's just like, it's one of those series where it's just like, I don't really know what's going on besides just James Harden has just been awesome so far and they're making shots.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll start,
0: I'll start with Houston first. Yeah. Um, they,
1: they, I think it's a favorable matchup for them. They don't have to face a, uh, a physical big guy, or not mm-hmm. a physical big guy, but a guy that can punish them on the post um, like Anthony Davis would. Yeah. Um, so that that's a huge advantage for them because Stephen Adams they're not be able to put the ball in the block. So they so they switch every ball screen. So it's tough to really create an advantage for them if you're not going to go post up Adams after he gets a switch. So that helps them a lot. And then Harden's been great. He's Lou Dort, huge man. I mean,
0: yeah, I, I love Lou Dort. Um, but yeah,
1: he's taking advantage of everyone except for Lou Dort, and I. I think with the, the Thunder, it's... They, they were... Billy Donovan didn't know what to do at the end of the game last night. He finally figured it out after Adams got hurt, but this, this the problem with having Chris Paul Schroeder and Gil just Alexander and you're, still, and you're playing at the end of the game is that Harden scored virtually every time when Lou Dort was not on the, on the floor. Yeah, And so, wh- how, who are you taking out? Because all those guys are lead on offense. And... He finally figured out that you just got to go small ball and play and take Adams out and put it in the you're because Adams is just not going to do anything uh, against Houston. And I think that's the way to go, but I think it doesn't solve their uh, long-term issue that I think they have to get rid of one of those guards this offseason.
0: Interesting, because I have an opposite approach of, I really like those three guards, and you have Schroeder coming off the bench, and you can play with all of them really well together. I think it's really interesting. What Houston does is they force the other team to match up to them because, yes, Stephen Adams, you can't throw to him on the block the way you could Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis and let him go to work, but they like Jedi mind trick Oklahoma City into doing that of throwing the ball to Stephen Adams a lot because he gets Ben McLemore or uh, Daniel House switched on to him where they just get teams out of their rhythm on offense and not move as much. Don't move the ball well, like, and just hunt the mismatches. It's really interesting because when you watch, if you just, like, look at their five who go out on the court to start, especially with Westbrook out, you're like, how does this team ever get a stop? But, A, they just play really, really hard, really physical, and they, like, trick you into not doing what you do. And they're, they they are did that really, really well through these first three games. Obviously, Oklahoma City won last night, but that was a huge part because they resisted the urge to do that. Like, Stephen Adams only took seven shots, and they guys were making threes, and, you know, they were sticking to what Oklahoma City does when before it was like they were getting – it's like the, the Rockets, like, trick you into playing – not the way that you want to play, but the way that they want to play. And are the Rockets good on defense that, that way? Because it's not like they have that many great defenders or rebounders, but like, are they good at defense because they basically just make you not play your style of offense? Because like, I think that makes them a good defensive team, even if their numbers aren't that great.
1: Yeah, they they I think that's always on coaches' mind. Like, mm-hmm. do we play our style or do we match up to the other team? And a, no one really knows the answer, but um, Houston, like, they're, they just play their style of basketball. They switch one through five and they're physical. And, like, Covington played, like, 14 minutes last night. And I was so surprised. I was, like, he's not even in the game. And they're, they're playing pretty well defensively. They, had 100, they only let up 104 points. And I think it's just, yeah, they, they have a good intensity and they, they've they're really locked into what they're doing, and we'll see how it goes moving forward. as, a, as I think they'll have less favorable matchups, but they're, they're super fun to watch, like, <laughs> but especially when Westbrook comes back.
0: For sure. And there was, there was one game where, when they had Westbrook, and I believe, let me just check who the matchup was, because I think it was, uh, it might have been the Clippers, where they were trapping Harden with the ball and uh sorry it was it was Portland where they would trap Harden or double team Harden whenever he came up the court and they would put Westbrook at the high post nail area and basically play four Mm -hmm. basically play four on three with Westbrook going downhill like yeah which is just unstoppable and it's interesting because the Westbrook if he comes back he's gonna you know this this team is so good and What's interesting about it, because as you mentioned, a more difficult match with the Lakers, most likely coming up next, is they have Anthony Davis. But if the Lakers just force feed Davis the ball on the post and let him go ISO one on one the whole time, that's not what the Lakers want either to do. Like, even though Davis could score 40 every game, like, they're taking them out of their rhythm as well. I don't know. The the Rockets are the most interesting team, uh, I think, in the NBA. Do you think that they can "quote unquote" math their way to the finals, with just the amount of threes that they shoot? Because they took fifty threes again last <laughs> last night. Like, can they math their way to the finals, or competing like because that's their strategy, right? They're going to math their way to it.
1: Yeah, the that's what it's all in. And uh, can they math the ready finals? Probably not. Um, Probably not, but
0: they can make it interesting. Um, For sure, they—they are so bad on the glass. Yeah, that—that's going to kill them against a huge team like the Lakers. So, uh, but then, but then also, but then also, three is better than two. Like, they just—they just hang around in these games to the point where, in the fourth quarter with eight minutes to go, they have Harden and Westbrook. And they're like, our two is better than your two. And for pretty much every team in the NBA, except for the Lakers and the Clippers, that's probably true.
1: Yeah, I think if if the Lakers don't pick it up, I think Houston Houston can beat them. Mm -hmm. But I think the Lakers will pick it up and they'll beat them.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting for sure. I think the Rockets are going to still win the series. But as we approach the end here, Leo, has there been anything from the first basically let's just say week of the playoffs that would make you change your title prediction
1: Ooh. that would make me change my title prediction. I was so back and forth on who I had in the east, and i i think i there there was i think there was one thing that had nothing to do with play but I guess uh, what happened to the team so are we going to go over our title predictions now? Yeah. So I'll start and in the West I've had the Clippers all year I'm going to stick with that they're too they're versatile in defense they've got a Kawhi Leonard who's just a monster in the playoffs you can't guard him I think Paul George will eventually hit some shots they're surrounded top to bottom, just with immense talent, and people, I think they've got a their, their physicality, they've got dogs on their team that are willing to, to they're doing what it takes to win a championship, and I've had them going to the finals all year, and especially with the Lakers now, looking a little shaky, solidifies my pick. My only concern is that they haven't really practiced there like i think dogs have like two full
0: practices all yes. year yeah that, that's the biggest concern about them is that they just haven't their their best guys just haven't played together like and it takes time to gel and get team chemistry and just you know Kawhi's unstoppable but like it just takes time for them to just play together and it's that's a big concern for me yeah i, I don't think it
1: matters all that much it matters a lot, but it won't matter with the kind of talent you have on that team and the good great coaching they have. So that's my pick in the West and the East. Before I had a friendly foe the Boston Celtics coming out. Interesting. Um, I think the depth concerned me a lot, but I don't think depth matters all the much in the playoffs because you're going to ride the guys, Tate 41 minutes, Brown 40 minutes, Hayward 35 minutes, Walker 36 minutes. So I, and Smart's going to play over 30 minutes. So it didn't matter that much. But now with Hayward going down, that's where, that's the number one thing. I was like, if someone gets hurt on this team, they're screwed. And they are screwed. Um, cause it might help when you, it doesn't matter when you play the Sixers, but when you're playing, um, the Raptors, like, you, your depth they're going to, they're not going to help off their They're not going to, the Raptors, just they, they're not going to guard those bench players like the Sixers right. did. And, and I doubt they're going to make them pay. But um, now I've got now I've got Toronto.
0: Um, okay, making it back.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean I I love Nick Nurse. Love what he's doing with that pack ultra aggressive pack line defense. Um, they're so fun to watch.
0: I the like one concern is who's going to take over at the end of the game. Who are you giving the ball to? Fred VanVleet. You don't have court. <laughs> yeah, and
1: it's got to be Fred Van Um, I don't trust him <laughs> all that much, <laughs> but um. They're my pick, I think they're so good defensively they're so fun to watch and they're they're so bought into what they're doing they rotate so well on defense um and i I obviously Milwaukee's by consensus, but um they they got consensus for me they don't have elite shooters. I don't think boot and makes the right adjustments in the playoffs, and I think you at the end of the game you're going to a middleton Giannis pick and roll, and the ball's not even in Yannis' hands and that that worries me
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think you make a lot of really good points. The reason why I'm still on Milwaukee to not only come out of the East and to win the finals is throughout the whole Eastern Conference playoffs, they will have the best player in a seven game series, which I think just per- personally, I just think that that really, really matters in basketball that having the best mm-hmm. player in that, because the series are so long, it usually f- f- tilts your way. Uh, there are exceptions, of course. Uh, like you're 76ers, for example, in, in this series. But uh, Giannis is, he's just so good. So, just because they have the best player, I think they'll make it out of the East. I think Toronto's their biggest uh, concern because I think they're really good. But I think Milwaukee will get revenge on them from last season. And out of the West, I don't really know what to make of it because as the Clippers just, I want to pick them. I really do. But it's like they've not healthy and they're not together and they have no one's played together and not practicing it's like I think it's really hard to like figure it out on the fly while you're then going to have to play against like Utah and Dallas and maybe even the Lakers or Houston like I think that's really tough they're so talented and they have Kawhi Leonard but I think chemistry matters and it's really hard to win a championship your first year uh together as a team so uh, that's why I kind of lean more towards the Milwaukee winning the championship no matter who comes out of the Lakers or uh, Clippers. But I still have Milwaukee. I think they're going to win the title, but uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see. So, uh, Leo, any other thoughts on just the bubble as, as as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think, I didn't even clarify. I do have the Clippers winning it all. Okay. Um, I have Clippers, uh, Raptors, Finals, Clippers winning it all. But thoughts on the bubble, I mean, I Adam Silver's done a great job. I, I never doubted him. Some people did. Some people thought it was a bad idea. Um, but I never doubted him, and his leadership is showing now, and, they, and they've done a great job. I think the offense is probably a lot better than I expected, and, and it, it's a great job. I think the more, more concern for me is about next season. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, are they going to have these regional bubbles? Are they going to try and play? Are they trying to try yeah. weed
0: it off? Yeah, no one yeah. knows. Like, literally just trying to plan with everything with the virus and everything. Like, n- no one knows what's going to happen next month, let alone four or five months from now.
1: Yeah, so, that, that, yeah, that's my thoughts. I
0: think Adam Silver's done a great job. Well, Leo, I really, really appreciate you taking the time on this Sunday morning to join me. I'm sorry about your Sixers, but hey,
1: <laughs>
0: if... If you think about it, only one fan base is happy at the end of the year, and you're just unhappier earlier than the rest of the you know the the rest of us, right uh uh-huh. so unless you're,
1: unless you're tanking and, uh, yeah, you're all in there <laughs> right exactly but but, yeah.
0: but so really appreciate the time uh you know, I'm looking forward to watching the playoffs and uh texting with you and you know hoping the best for the Sixers going forward. But, hey, whatever happens, happens. Really appreciate the time, and uh, maybe we could do this again later in the playoffs. Yeah,
1: let's do it. Great great conversation with you, Dave.
0: That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or where we get your podcasts, and you subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week until then take care and make it a great day.